Chapter 14 of Stories of the Victoria Cross by Frank Mundell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Storming of the Gate Par. British settlers had found their way to New Zealand some years before these islands of the South Pacific Ocean became a British colony. In 1840, a treaty was signed with the native chiefs, by which the government of New Zealand was vested in the crown, but the native title to the soil was guaranteed. Since then, every acre that has come into the possession of Europeans has been duly paid for. In 1860, serious disputes arose between the British and the Maoris, as the natives of New Zealand are called. Certain lands were sold without the consent of some of those who claimed proprietorship, and these men took up arms to defend their ancient and hereditary rights. At that time, the British force in New Zealand was very small, but it was thought to be sufficient to overawe the natives. Under no circumstances was serious fighting expected. The Maoris, however, were determined to force their demands on the British, and as they are a brave, strong race of people, and very warlike, it was quite clear that they would not be put down without considerable trouble. The Maoris had a strong pa, or fort, at Taranga, where they made preparations to hold out against any force the British might bring against them. The pa was built on the narrow neck of land which connects the peninsula of Taipapa with the coast, and as the position is at the entrance to the whole region, the fort was known as the Gate Pa. The situation had been well chosen. The swamps which stretched down to the beach on either side made it impossible for a body of troops to proceed inland without first storming the fort. On the 28th of April, 1864, a force of infantry and a naval brigade of 200 seamen from the different warships off the coast were mustered for an attack on the gate par. The artillery opened fire, and for several hours poured a deadly and unceasing torrent of shot and shell into the native position. Only by an occasional volley did the Maoris give any indication of their presence within the fort, and it was therefore thought that the majority of its defenders must be dead. Yet no attack was made until four o'clock in the afternoon, when a breach was effected to admit a storming party. Commander Hay of HMS Harrier led the attack. With ringing cheers, the men rushed forward, and in a few minutes they were inside the fortress. For some time only an occasional shot was heard, and the troops who had remained behind thought that the day was won. Suddenly the air was rent with savage cries. Volley after volley was heard within the par, and as the white smoke rose in the air, Captain Hamilton, fearing that something was wrong, 
ordered the supports to advance. Before they could be put in motion, a remnant of the storming party was seen rushing panic-stricken from the fort. The supports hurried forward to the stockade, but as Captain Hamilton was cheering on his men, he fell dead. The panic now became general, and the advancing force joined the fugitives in their retreat. Nothing could stop them. An uncontrollable fear had robbed them of their presence of mind and their very manhood. Discipline was powerless to recall them to a sense of their duty. Panic reigned supreme. What was the cause of this terrible disaster? When the stormers under Hay entered the par, they saw no trace of the foe except a few dying Maoris lying on the ground. Thinking that the enemy had abandoned their position, the soldiers laid down their rifles and began to wander carelessly about, examining the construction of the par. Suddenly, and silently from out of holes in the ground, hitherto covered with branches and turf, rose a host of Maoris who immediately opened fire. The British, panic-stricken by the sudden and terrible apparition, turned and fled, leaving their wounded officers to the mercy of the foe. There was, however, one man who that day conquered fear, and by his gallantry gained for himself the cross of honour. That was Samuel Mitchell of HMS Harrier. Seeing Commander Hay, who had been wounded at the first discharge, lying helpless on the ground, Mitchell went to his assistance. Hay urged the gallant fellow to leave him where he was and secure his own safety, but Mitchell resolutely refused to stir a single step without his officer. Then, raising the wounded man in his arms, he carried him out of the par amid a shower of bullets. When he got outside, he met Dr. Manley of the Royal Artillery, to whom he handed over his charge. On the spot, the gallant surgeon bound up the commander's wounds and conveyed him to a place of safety. He then returned to the par, and, heedless of the terrible fire which swept the fort, he went in to attend to the wounded. He moved about binding up their wounds and attending to the wants of the dying as calmly as if he had been at home. He seemed to bear a charmed life, for while he was so engaged, the bullets of the enemy fell thick and fast on every side, yet he was not even wounded. For his unflinching heroism, Dr. Manley also received the Victoria Cross. Though a body of our soldiers were sent to cut off the enemy's retreat, the Maoris abandoned the fort and managed to make their escape during the night. End of chapter 14